Welcome back to Bodies in the Bayous. I'm Morgan. And I'm Gretchen. This is season three, Back to the Killing Fields. This season, we are revisiting the Texas Killing Fields. In the following episodes, we will cover a broader area. This is in an effort to connect some of the cases covered in season one. We plan to bring to you some of the known serial killers in this broader area that may have murdered some of the women in the Texas Killing Fields. We will also cover some of the victims that we did not cover in season one. Season three, back to the Texas Killing Fields, episode three, Lucas and the Galveston County Confessions. So where we were last season, last episode, um, we started off by talking about how Lucas confessed to the judge that he had murdered a hundred or then kept kind of upping the number that he had murdered. And so when it, in talking about how it connects to the Texas killing fields, it's important for us to look at kind of those Galveston County cases first and then looking outside that along I-45. But for today's purpose, we're going to look at the Galveston County cases that we could uh, track down. Um, but what Lucas said at one point in time is, I don't know, I don't want to do these things, but I cannot stop. Whatever's inside of me will not leave me alone. That's a letter that he wrote in 1983. And then Texas Ryan would sometimes um, so Texas Ranger Phil Ryan was kind of one of the people who was in charge of taking Lucas's confessions. And what he said is that sometimes he would present Lucas with cases that were kind of made up because he wanted to make sure that Lucas would not falsely confess to anything. And he would always tell Henry Lee Lucas, if you're lying, he would say, then don't take on somebody else's case. If you really want to help solve these cases, don't take on somebody else's cases and give them a free ride. I think this was way of Ryan trying to say that he would not willingly allow Lucas to falsely confess to him. Mm -hmm. um, the Texas Rangers said that they were deluged by calls from law enforcement and that they would write down a description of what they were working on. And then they, and if Lucas would say something to them that would fit, then they would contact whatever office had contacted them about that case and ask them to um, come and talk to Lucas themselves. So they would have these lists of law enforcement calling them and saying, I have this case that's important or I have that case that's important. So that's kind of how Galveston County gets involved is Galveston contacts them and says, hey, we have these open cases. Can you talk to Lucas and see if he may know anything about those cases? Um, Lucas was a likable guy, but he was a bit of a, a wise guy. He was kind of a smart aleck. He could be uncooperative if he wasn't getting his way. And so they would kind of buy him cigarettes and bring him hamburgers, milkshakes and stuff like that in order to get him to be amenable to talking about different mm -hmm. cases. It's um, almost like buttering him up, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. like buttering him up. So the first case we're going to talk about today is Christine 
Denise Wilson. And on November 9th, 1980, Christine Denise Wilson, an 18-year-old student from... Um, so there are a couple different reports here, and I couldn't quite nail this down. So on her death certificate, it said that she lived in San Leon, but then other reports say that she was a student in League City. So knowing the San Leon, League City area, I'm thinking that she lived in San Leon, but she went to the League City High School. Yeah, I think so, because um, like a friend of mine lived in Clear Lake, but there wasn't a high school there at that time. So she still went to school in League City. Yeah. And as far as I know today, still to this day, there is not a high school in San Leon, right? Uh, They just built uh, Clear Falls a few years ago. It's still, I think, technically League City, but it's zoned for like San Leon and some of those outskirting kind of communities. So for people who are not from this area, you know, because you have that urban sprawl, all of these towns have really started to melt together. There are dividing lines between them, which are some of these roads that we talk about, different FM roads and stuff like that, but they really are very close together. Sometimes you don't even know, am I in League City? Mm-hmm. Am I in Texas City? Am I in, um, you know, where am I? And, and you'll change those cities just in a matter of blocks and then go back into that city and then change again, you know? Right. So, so that just kind of sprawls out mm-hmm. a little bit, but, um, so that gives people an idea. So she was the daughter of Harold and Leola Wilson. She was found in, um, on the Texas city Dyke road near mile marker four by fishermen. She had been sexually assaulted stabbed multiple times in the chest back and forehead she was identified a few days later being a match to league city her death certificate states that her body had multiple injuries and some newspaper reports um state that she had gone missing um or that she had died on the fourth but her death certificate lists her death date as november 9th 1980. And from what I could tell from this, it just seems that the newspaper reports are a little bit off Um, that over the years, you know, as they re-reported, the date kind of changed. But it does seem like she went missing on the 9th and she was found on the 9th. Um, It wasn't until March of 1985 that police would have a lead to who killed her. It was at this time that serial confessor Henry Lee Lucas was brought to Texas City to meet with Chief Police Joe Stanley and Detective Brian Getchens. This is the same Brian Getchens who the movie Texas Killing Fields is based off of. And Getchens was also the lead detective in the now solved case that we brought you um, in our first season crystal jean baker in episode 26 the episode is titled treated as runaways while in town lucas confessed that he and otis tool abducted the woman about 15 miles away from where her body was found which so 15 miles in any direction could have been possibly league city could have been possibly san leon Mm -hmm. so um so that they abducted her about 15 miles away from where her body was found. He said that both he and Tool sexually assaulted her and then took turns stabbing her. Investigators in Texas City believed that he he could have been related to the murder that was similar to other crimes that Lucas had confessed to. 
So um, I'm guessing what they mean by that is basically he confessed to other stabbings. And so therefore he... The MO fit, basically. Yeah, the MO fit. Mm -hmm. um, so we gave you a lot of uh, background in our earlier episodes. And part of the reason was for this. So from our earlier episodes, we've given you an idea of where Lucas and Tool were. And is it possible that they came to Texas and committed, committed this murder in November of 1980? The answer is yes. It is possible that they did come. So what we know about them at the time is that Lucas had, um, purchased the green Oldsmobile and he was also selling and scrapping other cars. So we do know that he had a vehicle and we do know that that vehicle, that vehicles that he had, had the ability for him to drive from Florida to um, the Galveston area. And, and possibly not even registered to him. So even if he got a speeding ticket along the way or that car came up into something suspicious, it may not even been linked back to him because he did have that access to jump cars. Right. Basically. Right. Um, and though, although family members in the Florida area have been interviewed, they have stated that the two did not leave during this time. The one person, though, that would know best is they were living with Otis Tool's mother, Sarah, at this time. And when the interviews happened to take part, place, Sarah had passed away. So she was not interviewed. Um, so, you know... We know that Henry Lee Lucas did kill people. We know that Otis Tool's DNA has been linked also back to um, a unsolved homicide that was now solved, which is the Adam Walsh case. And we also know that Otis Tool had spent, was spending time in prison for another murder that he was convicted of. So we do know that they have the ability, you know, to murder people. Mm -hmm. Um Unfortunately, I don't know where where police would have been able to go on this case once the confession was made. And as far as I can tell, at this point in time, this case is closed. You know, it's it's one of those that, you know, once he made the confession, once this was said, um, the case was closed. So... There's not much we can do there. So why do you think that they didn't have anywhere they could go? Just because they didn't have anybody else to link it to? Or... Well, so she was killed in 1980. They had done an investigation in 1980. Um, by the time the confession comes around in 1985, this case was cold. So every resource that they had at their fingertips in 1980 had been used. Um now in 19 i guess i didn't realize it had been five years between the murder and then when he confessed yeah right so that's a significant amount of time mm -hmm. it is a significant amount of time so um and i just you know i i just don't think even in 1983 if you go back to when he's first becoming arrested and starting to confess to these crimes you know it still would have been cold three years later you know any information that they had would would have been looked into and from what i can tell there wasn't much information out there they certainly did not put pleas out to the public of looking for a vehicle or anything like that but again this is one of those cases that there's so little information publicly available i have put a request into the um 
the Texas City Police Department to see if they'll release any information. I haven't heard back, so we're still waiting. I think this is one of those things that if we get more information, we'll bring to you in a bonus episode, but this is kind of what we have. You know, and through us just asking for those records too, it brings awareness to that. Right. Right. So at the very least, we've done that. Mm -hmm. And maybe they will take another look at her case, but also we know that there's a possibility that once this case was closed, that the evidence may no longer exist. Mm -hmm. So. So at the same time that he is in Texas city confessing to Christina's uh, murder, he also confesses to the murder of James Edward Cox. So James Edward Cox was 19 years old. His mother was Ida. His father was John. While he, um, the, the strange thing about this is there's, it's so difficult to find any information about James Edward Cox. So, Lucas's confesses to the February 1st, 1977 murder of James Edward Cox of Texas City. About 8.30 a.m., Cox was found dead about a thousand feet from the bay in Galveston off the 6,000 block of Industrial Boulevard. Cox was a 19-year-old man who was working as a Galveston welder. Um, his cause of death was drowning. His manner of death is listed as undetermined. Lucas stated that he and tool met Cox in a bar in Galveston. They had homosexual relations and then tool slashed James Cox's neck and they put him in the, uh, bay. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, one of the other things, and I guess I really need to mention this, is when Lucas confesses to this, he says that Frida and Frank were there. Now, Frida and Frank are the nephews of Otis Toole. Frida is most commonly referred to, and we've referred to her often as Becky. That's the nickname that Lucas gave her. So he says they're there mm-hmm. at this time, that they had gone with them on this trip. Oh, if that makes sense. So. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but you know, when I'm looking at this and we know that he's falsely confessed before, they're just hanging out with them while they do this. Like, I just find that kind of a stretch that you just have, I don't know. Like you, you just brought these, these young kids with yeah, you. Yeah. And you know, you're having these uh, relationships with said person and then you just kill him and next are slashed and you know, that's not in the autopsy report, like, or on a death certificate. Like I, I, that's just weird to me. So I guess that's the undetermined factor of it, but you would think it'd be mentioned. Okay. So I think the death certificate for me is, is one of the, one of the clues in this case. So the death certificate states that his death was caused by asphyxiation due to drowning, which means he drowned. So when they did the autopsy, he had water in his lungs. Um, which means that he was alive then when he hit that water, he was alive when he hit Uh the water. Right. Um, however, what it, it does say cause and manner of death, not determined, but nowhere on this death certificate, and I can't get a hold of his autopsy report, but nowhere on this death certificate, does it say that there was any other 
cause here. You know, it doesn't say asphyxiation due to drowning along with the fact that he had bruises and cuts and all of that. It just doesn't say that. So it's very, very hard for me to, I wonder why this case was something that Lucas confessed to. Two, there is no reason for us to believe that James Cox was involved in any type of of relationship with anyone. You know, there's nothing before that, hey, he went out to the bar and he didn't come home. What appears or what you have in public record is that it seems like he went to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Which where he works is in the area of where he's found. Now, how he ends up drowning, I don't know. But to me, this seems like an accidental death. Everything that's reported in the papers about this seemed like an accidental death. I mean, I would just think at the slightest, if there's a gash in the neck, right? And you're talking a stab, which is different than, you know, a rock cutting you, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the edges would be different, things like that. It would be mentioned, I would think, you know, as... A homicide, not undetermined. You know what I mean? Or, I mean, I, I know you can get slashed in the neck and still be breathing mm -hmm. to cause drowning. We do know that. Okay. And I think it could still be listed as undetermined because they wouldn't necessarily know where the slash came from. But I still think that it would have been mentioned as a contributing factor on his death certificate. I would think so. And too. there is a place for that, where he could have written, you know, asphyxiation due to drowning, um, other factors, large slash in his neck. Right, right. So, but that's not mentioned in there. It's also not mentioned in the newspaper reports. The newspaper reports say that he drowned. Right. Um, and I don't know. To me, it you know and maybe there was there's something more that police had that we're not privy to but again this is one of those cases where he's dead and buried and then this confession comes you know it it appeared that everybody felt like this was an accidental drowning. And then you have this confession from Lucas where he brings in all these other people and says, oh, this is really what happened. Um, but again, you have to ask yourself, is this possible? So, all right, a couple things. This would be possible on February 2nd, but... The problem is Lucas had paid rent on his and Betty Crawford's trailer in Maryland, which would make this trip for him a 22 hour drive down here to the Galveston area. Then he meets up with this guy and he also has to meet up with Otis tool and Otis's tools, niece and nephew who at that point, at this point that we're talking about, again, you go back to Sarah and would Sarah have allowed Otis tool to just wander across to Galveston with the niece and nephew. And according to almost everyone, 
Otis Tool and Lucas haven't even met yet. Right. I think that was the biggest one for me. And and the factor of the 22-hour drive. Yeah. 22 hours. You're looking at a day. Because you're going to have to stop for gas somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And you're going to have to go to the bathroom. Now, I know there's weird stories about people wearing diapers and all that stuff. But I don't think that's happening. So... There's, I just don't think there's any physical. Well, and I, I do want to be clear with the 22 hours. I have Googled it today. Like how quickly can I get there from this point to the point that we're talking about in Galveston to the point that he was living. And it says 22 hours, but that's driving at today's speed limits on today's interstates. That's not back in 1977. You know, that's a lot different of a trek back then than it would be for me right now. Well, sure, because, I mean, you don't even know what highways have been built to make that even more convenient now, right? (laughs) So I I just don't think that it, physically, it doesn't make sense, you know, with the the time. Right. So, and, and for me, then you have this poor family who's now put through this when... It seems like they felt like he died of drowning. Right. And now we've, you know, looped him into, you know, these serial serial confessions by this guy. Yeah, I can't imagine. Can you imagine? Like, as a family member thinking all this time, like, my brother, my wife, my husband, whoever died, like, in a freak accident. And then now you've got this guy who's either using my family member for attention or he has done this, but we'll never really know. No. Right? And then that and that's just terrible. So after leaving Texas City, Lucas is then taken to Galveston. And while in Galveston, he confesses to the May 21st, 1977 murder of Susie Bowers. We covered Susie Bowers in the first season of the Texas Killing Fields episode nine. But I just wanted to recap her story a little bit. Susie was a 12-year-old. She had been at her grandmother's house when she walked home to get her bathing suit, and she disappeared. Her parents reported her missing to police. The police believed that she was a runaway. One of the reasons that they believed Susie was a runaway was that she was being raised by her father and a stepmother. Although her stepmother was pretty much her mother. Um, And even after Susie's death, her stepmother, Susie was her daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, Her mother had died when Susie was a baby. And so her stepmother pretty much raised her. Um, The stepmother, the father, the grandparents, everybody, even friends began searching for Susie. They begged law enforcement to do more in her case. her stepmother did not even leave the island the entire time that Susie was missing because she was worried that Susie would return and she wouldn't be there. Um, Susie's body was found actually off of Galveston Island in the town of Alta Loma on March 25th, 1979. And again, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode nine if you haven't already listened to it because that'll give you a lot more details on her case. But Henry Lee Lucas confessed her confessed to killing her, he said, police said that Lucas had key information on the case. He led police to the location that he said he and Otis Toole kidnapped Susie, and he also described the location that her body was found. 
because we don't really know where Susie was kidnapped from, this is kind of vague. That he led police to a place that he said was where he kidnapped her from. Um, and then he did um, take police to, they drove him out to basically this field in Alto Lama, and he pointed out where he said that he put her body in, I guess, according to police, it was relatively close to yeah, where her body was actually Yeah, found. yeah, in that field right there. I mean, that, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm not trying to downplay that, but you drove him to the field that you know she was found at. Right. So Lucas was indicted on Susie Bauer's um, murder, but they never went forward with um, trying him for her murder. So, but Susie's mother, so what happens here is Lucas confesses confesses and confesses and confesses and then the attorney general finally gets involved in this starts to um and this guy named maddox he starts to investigate whether or not lucas's confessions can be true at the point in time i mean there was so much going on but it also happened because um there was a lot of help the um lemons family which we're going to cover who they were on a bonus episode but they actually get involved, start to show um, the attorney general that Lucas could not be in the places that he said he was. So that's part of what starts to go on. But Lucas also recants all of his confessions. He at one point in time says he only murdered a couple of people. That would be his mother, Kate Rich, and uh, Frida Powell, who we refer to often as Becky because that's the nickname that he gave her. So he recants and says, those are the only people he murdered. He also then recants and says he never murdered anybody. So I don't think you can believe a word out of this man's mouth. But um, with that, eventually, Governor George Bush commutes his death sentence from death to life in prison. At that point in time, Susie's family is devastated. They believed that lucas and otis tool had murdered her and they wanted lucas to be tried for her murder and sadly another man would later confess to her murder too and that's edward harold bell who later confesses or kind of loosely confesses to susie's murder so <laughs> the absolute devastation of what this family has been put through over the years is terrible. And really, I don't think they've ever gotten justice. I don't think so either. So, but again, you have to ask the question, could Lucas have been in Galveston at the time that Susie disappeared? And the answer to this is that it's highly unlikely. Lucas was married to Betty Crawford at the time. Benjamin Trailer Park in Maryland has Lucas living there. Betty and friends at the trailer park and Lucas's half-brother all gave statements that Lucas only left Maryland twice during that year. Once was on a road trip to Virginia and he was with his uh, brother-in-law the entire time and the second was on a road trip to Rhode Island and he was with um, three different people on that road trip and he was only gone for 24 hours 
Other than that, multiple people can put him in Maryland during that time. He also says in the second part of his confession that he and Otis Toole were in Galveston. Again, the problem with that is Lucas and Otis Toole had not even met each other and, or probably had not even met each other. And yet apparently they're going back and forth to Galveston County several multiple times in this year in 1977 in order to murder people. So, and then three days before Susie went missing, Otis Toole was actually in Florida in court. So we know at least three days before he's in Florida in court. Now, again, could he have made this trip? Yes. Yes, it's possible. But is it likely? I would say no. I would say no. No. All right, while in Galveston, then Lucas also confesses to the murder of Roy Wayne Hallmark. And I'm going to apologize right now. I have looked for more information on Roy and I have really not found it. Part of it may be that Roy was a lot more transient than some of our other victims. So Roy was 20 year, 29 years old. He was from Mississippi. Roy was, his body was found in a pool of blood on the sidewalk of 35th street and Broadway on February 23rd, 1980. He had been stabbed 20 times, 22 times. Lucas stated that he and tool picked up a hitchhiker who is Hallmark in Houston, drove the man to Galveston. Lucas turned down Broadway street and then turned down an alley. He said that he and tool began stabbing Hallmark. Hallmark got out of the car and ran, said that they ran after him. They reached the end of the road near a service station, stabbed him a couple more times. And then at that point in time, they left him there to die. It took police two weeks to identify Hallmark's body. They did this through the Salvation Army and then finally made contact with a cousin of Hallmark. And at that point in time, that's how they identified his body. Other thing here is, so police say that Hallmark was also robbed. I'm not real sure exactly what made police think that because what I have kind of discovered is that he was getting help from the Salvation Army. So I don't think he would have had a large amount of cash. It may not even be that though. If they're just assuming it could be the fact that like he didn't have a wallet. Okay. You know what I mean? That could have made it that simple for them to be like, he must've been robbed because people of the Salvation Army knew he had a wallet. I and mean, that does that does make more you know, sense. I mean, and it may not even be that there's money in there. It's just the fact that maybe his social security card, his ID, whatever, was in that wallet. Uh-huh. Okay. And I didn't think about that. That does make a bit more sense because before I was like, what did they take from like, him? Like, what, what's the point of stealing? Right. What, what's mm-hmm. the point of robbing? The other thing that I find weird about this is even in February, Galveston's not a quiet town. You don't have as many, let's say, tourists, quote unquote, but they're gearing up for um, like spring break. Uh-huh. You're not stabbing somebody out there in the middle of the day without anyone noticing. You're just not doing it unless you're in like some weird back alley, which is possible. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying they were at a service station. So right. So and his his body 
um, is found. I don't know exactly what time his body is found. So um, it could have been more toward the evening time or at night. But I think you have a good point. You know, when you're talking about this area, you know, Broadway and 35th, you are talking about an area, even back then, that would have had, you know, you, the service stations are down there. Broadway's a busy street. It's really your main location there in Galveston. And yet 35th is up closer to leaving the island, but still anything on 35th is, it's popping. There's a lot of cars driving around there all the time. All the time. It's all the time. I mean, you could be there and even, I would even say it's busier at night. Let's just say like that. So, So, well, it's the main, this is the main road of how you're getting on and off that island. Mm -hmm. This is your, this is your 45 connector interstate 45 connector route of getting in and up on and off that island and i mean it is packed with like service even then because those buildings have been there forever right it's packed with businesses and convenience stores and apartments and large houses so right. i mean it's, it's and it's a well-lit area oh yeah yeah absolutely uh, maybe not the alleys but again he comes out of the alley he's you know, screaming for help and at that point in time then falls there by the service station. So I don't know. But what is not in denial though is that he was stabbed at some point in time and did come out. So because they didn't connect, they didn't get whoever killed him, either it being Lucas and Otis Tool, or because, you know, maybe it's too maybe it's another individual or a couple other individuals you know you have to say it's possible though that you know he was stabbed in that alley and then ran out could have also come from a vehicle too oh sure yeah absolutely um and there's a ton of bike riders up and down there too i mean all the time yeah like really think about that it's very busy but you know again though back to the question of could lucas and otis tool have committed this murder and of all the ones that we've discussed today this one is probably more likely than any of the other ones because we do know that lucas and tool were living together in florida at the time and lucas and tool could have left florida and traveled to the area now there is uh information on them in in the weeks you know like so in the beginning there's a little bit of information about them working and then toward the end there's information about lucas scrapping um turning in some scrap metal and stuff like that but there are not the eyes on them that there were when he was in maryland and he was married the two of them disappearing it's possible so, but they do have Frida slash Becky, and they do have Frank with um, who are there. Now that particular day, and actually a couple of days in that same week, Frida is not in school. Becky is not in school, uh, but Frank is. So somebody, if they came, they didn't come with both children. And so I don't know. Um, it would have been a 13 hour drive to and back. Again, that's using Google nowadays, but, um, and then you're not, not making that drive with children without stopping. You're just not. No. And, and, but with her being out of school for a couple of days, the possibility is there, you know, I mean, I, I, again, it does seem like they're driving in and out of Texas quite a bit, you know, and 
Um, so I don't know. It's it's one of those things that when you you can't say that this one is as much of a miss as some of the other ones. Yeah, and I guess too, like my whole thing is just from this entire episode is that's a lot of driving to kill somebody. If you wanted to kill somebody, you had this urge necessarily to kill somebody. Why can't you do that where you are? The driving all the way back and forth is is a stretch for me. Well, so they probably, well, they, I, there are confessions to people that in Florida too. So there are people that they confess to killing in the Florida area. Um, and Otis tool does kill two known individuals in the Florida area. So they were killing in Florida. You know, I think part of this is that, um, he talks about kind of being a scrapper and going to different areas to pick up scrap metal and stuff. So if this is true, I think it'd be more that they're traveling in order to financially benefit. All right, guys. And so that's going to conclude uh, today's episode. And um, don't forget that for only 99 cents a month, you can subscribe to us, which includes exclusive bonus episodes and all of our current episodes ad-free. Yeah, and um, some of those episodes that we're doing is are actually episodes about Lucas and some more confessions, but those are confessions that he confessed to in other areas. So if you find him interesting, definitely subscribe to us, and we've got a couple of bonus episodes out there for you, and we will continue to create that content. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We always love to hear from our listeners. So please contact us with any questions that you might have. Um, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Bodies in the Bayous. You can always email us at bodiesinbayous at hotmail.com. And don't forget to listen to us wherever you stream your podcasts.